Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, September 20th. I'm Desiree Frazier in for Cameron Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk COVID with Representative Benny Thompson, then advocates criticize state oversight of a low-income child care program, and alcohol sales spike in Mississippi during the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today, we speak with Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson, who represents Mississippi's 2nd District in the U.S. House. Representative Thompson is also the dean of the state's congressional delegation and chair of the Committee on Homeland Security. He tells Rob Lane that over the past few years, or months rather, he's been keeping a close eye on Mississippi's COVID response. I've been disappointed in the governor's approach to it. Uh, I think he has to uh, exert leadership as the health professionals recommend. If they are saying that this Delta variant is deadly to those individuals who are not vaccinated and the statistics bear out the danger of, of dying potentially from COVID if you're not vaccinated, and you have the state with the lowest vaccination rate and the highest percentage death rate, then I think it would be remiss for you not to impose a vaccination mandate on your citizens because it's the right thing to do. But to try to pursue going to court to prevent the federal government from doing what you should be doing as governor is disingenuous on his part. We have state mandates for chickenpox, for measles, uh, for a number of illnesses uh, for our citizens. So given the fact that this COVID variant is now real, uh, called Delta, 
I think you'd be remiss by not doing the same thing for it. Those deaths and the suffering that many of those family members have have had is unfortunate. And if we could have prevented the death and suffering by having a vaccine mandate, that's about leadership. That's not politics. That's absolute leadership. In recent days, we've heard from some business leaders in the state that they're concerned that um, some of the president's new announced mandates might exacerbate the labor shortage here in Mississippi. Is that a concern you share? I would say I am not concerned about it. Those mandates are mandates that help American citizens. So those individuals who would try to see something bad from an idea that's designed to help, uh, you can't convince them otherwise. So for whatever reason, my understanding of this president is that he cares about all citizens, not just Northerners or Westerners or Easterners or, or, or Southerners, but everybody. And so if this pandemic is a 50-state pandemic that's been ongoing for over a year now with 600 and 65,000 Americans who died, it's a problem. So we have to institute measures to protect it and and protect our citizens. So uh, I support the president and what he's doing, and I don't see it as Democrat or Republicans. I see it's a matter of leadership and our leaders stepping forward in the proper manner when the issue dictated. And this pandemic issue dictates that. You alluded to the fact that both Governor Reeves and Attorney General Fitch say they are prepared to file a lawsuit against the president over these new mandates. Might legislative action to mandate vaccines be a more litigation-proof method of uh, making sure folks get the shot? And is that something you're looking at? You know, we still respect states ability to make the best decision for its citizens. But when the statistics say you are in a crisis, you should address that crisis in a forthright manner. And so the framers of our Constitution put together a federal oversight of states. And it's when those states fail to do or when the states say we need help there's a federal government to help. In this instance, Mississippi has failed to live out the true effort of trying to get all Mississippians vaccinated. And so the federal government is really not left many choices in the matter because, after all, those are American citizens who are clogging up the emergency rooms, clogging up the intensive care beds, so that other illnesses can't get addressed. And the majority of those people who are clogging up the health care system, they are the ones who are unvaccinated. And so we have to fix that. And so that's why President Biden's effort to get all Americans vaccinated is the right thing to do. And so those people who care about getting 
uh, vaccinated are to be commended. And those people who are encouraging other people to get vaccinated, they are to be commended too. But under no circumstances should a state try to impede the life blood of a country to preventing people from getting vaccinated just because the person bringing up the idea is a Democrat. And so I hope the governor and lieutenant governor pray on this issue. I hope they talk to and seek wise counsel that for people, even in Mississippi, to have a chance at living out life and life more abundantly, they'll get vaccinated. Is there any chance that you and your colleagues in the House could look to advance legislation that would make COVID vaccine mandates the law of the land? Well, uh, I think we're going to suggest, urge, and highly recommend the process that we're doing now. I think the likelihood of getting the legislative authority done is too time-consuming. There are a lot of people who are in emergency rooms and in ICU beds right now who won't be around if that is the process. That's why the framers of our Constitution created three branches of government. One of them is executive branch, and at this point, that executive branch has to do what's in the best interest of all the citizens of this country. And if that is a vaccine mandate to keep more Americans alive than it is for those who don't get vaccinated and die, then it's time for the executive branch to continue to exert that leadership. Our conversation with Representative Benny Thompson continues on tomorrow's show. Coming up, advocates criticize state oversight of a low-income child care program. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Advisors to the FDA voted unanimously Friday to authorize booster doses of the Pfizer COVID vaccine for Americans over 65, as well as those especially vulnerable to severe coronavirus infection. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says booster distribution will present a challenge for the state's medical system. Right now, most vaccinations are happening at the pharmacy and then the doctor's office. We have obviously demobilized all the drive-through clinics, right? The National Guard has been sent back to their you know, normal, normal lives. So when we start doing booster doses, we really need the doctor's offices. We really need the pharmacies to continue the good work they're doing uh, with vaccination. So please, please step up. According to the Department of Health, about 40,000 Mississippians thus far have received a third dose of a COVID vaccine.
The Child Care Payment Program is a federal initiative designed to help low-income parents deal with the cost of child care. But advocates say Mississippi's Department of Human Services ensnares would-be enrollees in unnecessary red tape. Today, the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative released the results of a survey that it says demonstrates chronic issues within the state's child care payment system. Carol Burnett is executive director. She speaks with Karen Brown. Parents have to apply. DHS has an online application that parents complete, and there are a number of documents that parents have to also submit, so they have to upload documents into the application that they submit to the Department of Human Services. And in addition to verifying their income and their employment and the number of hours they work, they also have to comply with child support enforcement in order to qualify to get child care. What does that mean exactly? It's basically like a double application process. They have to contact the child support division at DHS and initiate application for child support. And then the child support division has to confirm with the DHS child care office that the parent is in compliance with the child support requirements in order for the child care division to approve the application that that parent has to get child care assistance. Is this policy a state policy alone or a federal policy? Who oversees it? It's a state policy alone. The federal program does not require it. What is the scope of the survey? Who was surveyed? Where? How many? We sent out a survey to all of the child care centers in Mississippi that participate in the state's child care assistance program. There are about 870. And we got over 250 responses from child care centers of all sizes, in all places, all across the state. And so the responses were very representative of child care centers that participate in this child care assistance program, which means that they serve parents who have an approved child care payment from DHS that parent has chosen to buy their child care from that particular center. The center keeps the records, reports to DHS the services that they provide, and then DHS reimburses the center for the services that they've given to eligible parents. So the parents never see that money. It goes straight to the child care center? Correct. Why would someone be denied? Most of the reasons that the providers cited to us have to do with problems that the parents encountered trying to get through the DHS application process, not because the parent's not eligible. So the parent's working the right number of hours. The parent's income is low enough, but the procedural barriers are multiple, and there's a lot of technicality to it. A parent has 60 days to complete their application. DHS has a requirement that the parent has to submit their most recent pay stub. So if they're paid twice a month, but DHS takes the full 60 days to get around to approving their application, then the pay stub the parent submitted when they first gave it to DHS is no longer the most recent one. So they'll get bumped out and denied because DHS got to their application 
so long later that the pay stub they submitted isn't the most recent anymore. Or if DHS doesn't have all the documents they require, that they don't tell the parent something's missing until day 58 or 59 out of the 60 days allowed, and the parent doesn't have time to get it to DHS within the time frame, the parent gets denied. Or if a parent submits a driver's license, but the copy's too dark, DHS will tell them that that document isn't adequate and they have to resubmit it. And if the resubmission doesn't occur within the time frame, they're denied. The other way they get denied is if a parent actually does get onto the program, every year DHS requires every parent to reprove their eligibility. And so at that annual redetermination of eligibility, a lot of those same problems occur. And so a parent who continues to be eligible can, for a procedural reason, lose their child care because a document didn't get submitted by the deadline or the document wasn't approved by DHS because of how dark it was. Is this the child care provider getting caught in between that they have to turn parents away because DHS hasn't approved them yet? Yeah. Most of the providers that responded to our survey indicated that they have parents on a waiting list. And the main reason that those parents are on the waiting list, the center has a spot. They could put the child into the center, but the parent can't afford to pay for the child care without the assistance from DHS. And so the parents are on the waiting list because they're trying to get through the DHS application process so they can get their child into a child care center so the parent can go to work. Carol, where can people access this report, this survey? They can go on our website, mschildcare.org, and the report will be there. Carol Burnett is the founder and executive director of the Mississippi Low Income Child Care Initiative. Carol, thank you very much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Coming up, Mississippi drowned in liquor last year. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Alcohol sales have shot up in Mississippi during the pandemic. Such a rise is set to exacerbate pre-existing mental health and substance abuse issues within the state. I spoke with a Mississippi woman named Erin who works with people in addiction recovery. Erin also has personal experience with drug and alcohol abuse. There wasn't one thing in particular during my life as to why I did the things I did. I think it started out by recreational use, and then once I crossed the line, I crossed the line, you know, and it was out of control, and I just lost all control, and there was no turning back. Well, congratulations on your recovery. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. What worked for you? I'll be honest with you. I tried many things. I came into treatment. Um, in my 30s, and I stayed there for uh, several months, and I coupled that with several things, to be honest with you. Working with others, definitely my spirituality, 
and some therapy as well. So, and I continue to do that and have continued to do that. During the pandemic, because you know what it's like to abuse a substance, can you explain what could lead a person during this time to use drugs and alcohol? I think, to be honest with you, especially during this time, this is really a time of, with this pandemic, we are very isolated, and this is a disease of isolation, and I think people get depressed, have anxiety, and I think they're just using that to cope. I do believe that they, you know, for whatever reason, people might be predisposed to addiction, and then so once they start you know, they could be off to the races. So, but, you know, once they start, you just never know what's going to happen. But during these times, people are, again, like I said, might be more depressed or anxious or, and they might use alcohol drugs to be coping. And so you just never know what's going to happen once they put that chemical in their body. You work with people in recovery, right? This is correct. Yes. What are they telling you? Are you meeting people, too, who have started their alcohol and drug use during the pandemic? I I have, and that is exactly what they're saying. Um, Whether they have lost their job or whether they're coming home and they haven't been able to get out, they are saying that, you know, they're coming home and they're depressed and they're just anxious. They don't have, you know, funds are low, things like that. They've lost family members due to covid Um, or whatever the case may be, and, you know, they're turning to the bottle or or drugs. And, you know, there then again, if they're predisposed to be alcoholic or or drug addicts, then they just cross the line and they've lost all control, and then they end up in, you know, in facilities. What do you find is helping them now in your work? I definitely believe a program of action, so definitely working with others, finding that connection, some type of spirituality, getting connected in some type of therapy, and just reaching out and not feeling that they are alone, that there are many people struggling with this, to not feel any guilt or shame about it. Um, I think that's one of the most important things. I think that a lot of people feel, you know, the shame and the guilt and that they're, they're, they're the only ones out there and, and they're not. There is help. Are we going to see even more people in your thinking because this pandemic continues? Oh, yes, I definitely believe that. I mean, I mean, addiction's been around forever, and I just think that it's, it, it has continued to spike and get even worse. And so I I believe that it's going to continue and it is on the rise. So, you know, we want to be here. We want to be available. And again, we want people to reach out and let us know that um, if they are struggling and they're not alone. Anything that I didn't ask you that's important to mention? Again, like I said before, you know, this is a disease of isolation, especially with what's going on now. We want people to make sure that they know that they're not alone. Please reach out. There is help available. You know, there are plenty of, you know, with the um, internet that we have available and phones, all this kind of thing, please reach out and know that you're not alone. Erin, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and giving us insight into how you were helped and what it takes to help others.
Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.